1 to 18. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, who was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that light, life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Friends, why don't you do the thing we often do at this point and turn around and say a quick... Uh, hello to one another and a quick hello, how are you? See if you can discover Martin Paluka perhaps in our midst. A <laughs> uh, quick hello amongst you now. There are outlines making their way around. If you don't have an outline and would like one, do you want to whack your hand heavenward? Thrust your hand heavenward. Here they come. I won't make you do anything you don't want to do because you put up your hand, so put your hand up for the outline. Let's see if anyone ever puts up their hand again in church. I'll pray for us and we're going to look at a great part of God's word. Let's pray. Uh, Great God of heaven, uh, we thank you uh, for speaking to us. Uh, by your Son, in your word, we pray, would you please enlarge our vision of him this evening, that we might live more fully for him and more thankfully for him. And we pray it for Jesus' honour and glory. Amen. I tell you, um, one of the great joys of my life at the moment in the uh, Sorensen household has been watching my children discover and love the wonderful Calvin and Hobbes. I don't know if you know Calvin and Hobbes, but um, they have long been great 
are favourites of mine. I have books and books and books of the comics all up on the bookshelves. And just over the last couple of weeks, uh, my kids, in particular Amy and Elka, have discovered those books and they've got them down and they've read them together and we've read them together and we've laughed and we've cried and we've just generally bonded together. I know some dads like to pass down sage-like wisdom to their children. Uh, Others are handsome inheritance. Uh, In the Sorensen house, it's basically Calvin and Hobbes. So enjoy, kids. That's pretty much your inheritance. Um, If you've never seen the comic series, let me tell you how it works. Calvin is a six-year-old boy, uh, not a lot unlike my six-year-old boy, Jacob, and Hobbes is his stuffed toy tiger and his very best friend. When others are around, Hobbes is just a toy. But when it's just the two of them, Hobbes comes alive and Hobbes fills the page and together on page after page after page they have adventure after adventure after adventure. Until that is, someone else enters the scene again and then Hobbes shrinks back to just a lifeless, soft toy again. See, it's just he and Calvin... Hobbes is larger than life. But when they're in the company of others, he suddenly, well, he shrinks. When it's just he and Calvin, I want to say Hobbes makes a difference. But out in the real world, he's just imaginary and impotent. Friends, as we continue our series tonight, The Bible and Ten Weeks, I can't help but wonder, is it at least sometimes, that that's how we consider Jesus. When it's just us and him, he's larger than life. But in the company of others, does he suddenly shrink? When it's just us in here, then he makes a real difference. But out in the real world, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I want to ask, does he sometimes seem, well, a little bit imaginary, a little bit impotent? Just the other night, Eric and I were watching uh, uh, some TV celebrities kind of doing some interview and things, um, comedians and such, and, and, and we couldn't help but notice amongst ourselves how, how small Jesus was treated. And we couldn't help but wonder together what would we say, what would we do if the mic was passed to us when we were in that company? Over the last week or two, Eric and I have spent time with our extended family, our non-Christian extended family, and we couldn't help but notice well, how lifeless Jesus seemed. How distant from present reality. How ineffective. How irrelevant. Since we said our sermon tonight, I want to ask, is that your world too? Are you like me? Are there times in your world where Jesus seems small? Not here, of course, Jesus never seems small here, does he? But but perhaps in the playground with all the other kids or perhaps in the office with the power suit, power tie. Perhaps at uni 
there in the tutorial, perhaps at the school gate with the other mums and dads. Does Jesus at that moment seem well, like not much more than a little toy tiger? See, I want to ask in your life, when someone else enters the scene, does Jesus suddenly seem different? Does he suddenly seem distant? So you and I live in a world, I'm sure you've noticed this, that constantly asks us, if you like, to turn the telescope around, to see ourselves as big, but Jesus as small, to see ourselves as effective, but Jesus as not, to see ourselves as everything, but Jesus as nothing. And it seems to me, at least I've noticed in my life, I wonder if it's in yours too, that the great danger is that as we rightly engage in and with that world, that we begin to buy the lie and see Jesus as a toy. Well, into that world tonight God speaks and if you like, he he turns the telescope back the right way again. He reminds us, and perhaps for some of us, he shows us for the very first time that, well, that Jesus, it says in your outlines, is none other than God himself come to earth as one of us to take us home and to make God known. He reminds us that Jesus is in himself the kingdom of God. Pick it up, John chapter 1, verse 1. If you're not trying to have a Bible open while it's on the screen type of person, I'd love you to grab a Bible now. John 1, verse 1. It says this. In the beginning was the Word, And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. And without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. John opens his letter up by trying to blow our minds, I think, with the magnitude of Jesus. Calling him the Word, for reasons we'll see in just a moment, he kind of tears up the stuffed tiger view of Jesus. And he replaces it, you see in the verses, with the always existing, everything creating, life-giving, light-shining, one and only God. He reminds us there, verse 1, that Jesus existed before he was Jesus that Jesus existed before the first Christmas. When I was at Wollongong Uni, doing some uni ministry stuff there, I remember a student saying once that at the first Christmas, Jesus was created. I met another student at Deacon just last week, one of our most solid, who said something very similar. And I want to say, on one hand, I don't think you can blame him. That's what the Christmas card nativities would have us believe. Little baby Jesus, meek and mild helpless, impotent little child. But what does John say? You see it there? The friend, the companion, the witness of Jesus. He says, no, not true, not created. Jesus is creator. Without him, John says, there would literally be nothing. Because of him, John says, there is everything. My boy, my boy Jacob, Calvinesque Jacob, has this standard response at the moment when I'm trying in vain to discipline him, where he basically comes back to me with something like, why do you get to boss me around and I don't get to boss you around? 
To which I reply something like, well, basically, mate, it's because I made you. (laughs) Now go and have your bath. (laughs) But of course, if that has any legs at all between me and my boy Jake, how much more between Jesus and every one of us? He made you, John says. The only reason you have life is because of him, John says. And indeed, the only reason you know God is because of him, John says. Do you think that's what's going on there with that image of light there? See at verse 4 and verse 5, the, the light that shines into the darkness? I, I take it that's, that's the, the light that Jesus brings, the light of the knowledge of God, the light that Jesus brings, or perhaps better, the light that Jesus brought. And when? When he came to us. I don't know if you notice, but so often we're presented these documentaries or the, the stories in the paper, especially around Christmas and Easter, with titles like The Search for God or The Quest for the Divine. As though God is a riddle that we need to work out. Or God is aloof. And he wants to stay hidden. As though the direction of movement, if there's going to be any movement, will have to be from us toward God. But again, what does John say? He says, no. You have it all backwards. You have it completely flipped around. No one ever works out God. Just like no one ever works to God. Our knowledge of him, just like our friendship with him, comes from God to us through Jesus. See, in the sort of underline there in the work of John the Baptist, see there from verse 6, and then it was back in our reading in Luke as well, if you remember it. John was the last in this long line of Old Testament prophets who pointed and pointed and pointed to what God himself would do to the initiative he would take. We heard something of it in Zechariah's song, uh, first few verses of it here. Praise be to the Lord, to the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. John's point, we didn't. He did. How? How did he do it? Well, he did it in a way that no one, absolutely no one would have guessed. He did it by becoming one of us. It was there in John chapter 1 verse 14. If you've got it there, John chapter 1 verse 14. The word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The technical term is, is incarnation. Uh, there's a word to impress your friends with. I dare you to use that sometime in a non-church context from here and next week. Incarnation. What does it mean? Well, actually, you can tell from the way it sounds and from other words that sound like it. Here's a little quiz for you. What is a carnivore? Something that eats meat. What is chili con carne? 
chili with meat. What is God incarnate? God in meat. God in the flesh. Born as a baby into a manger out of a womb just as we were. Christian uh, theologian uh, J.R. Packer puts it this way as he reflects on the incarnation of Jesus. The really staggering Christian claim, the really big one, bigger than all the rest, is that Jesus of Nazareth was God made man. He goes on. The divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless baby, unable to do more than lie, stare, wriggle, make noises. Needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. And there wasn't no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is as fantastic as the truth of the incarnation. It is, as the title for this talk is that John gave, it is history's wonder. God became human. But and again, perhaps we say no. Again, perhaps probably not here, but out, out there, perhaps we say no. That couldn't happen. It couldn't be. God couldn't become also human. The question, of course, is, is why? Or particularly, why not? Why could not the God who made all this, the God who made every single one of us, not also make himself, while still fully God, fully human? Sure, 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 we say. Sure, Pete, I'll follow you on there. But, but it wouldn't happen. It wouldn't be. God wouldn't become also human. I mean, who in his right mind would ever choose to add petty, dirty humanity to perfect, holy divinity? Who in his right mind would, if you like, demote himself to become one of his creatures? It would be something like us demoting ourselves by choice to be an ant or a slug or something else. Jacob usually steps on. Of course, that's exactly the point, isn't it? Who would? Who would? Except this God. This God, verse 14, did you see it? Full of grace and truth. This God who John and his companions saw and touched and testified is God become man. Jesus is God himself come to earth as one of us to take us home and to make God known. Go back to verse 10. Back to verse 10. Verse 10. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. Which doesn't mean, by the way, oh my gosh, Jesus, hardly knows you there. There is the flesh on. No, it means intentionally, deliberately, the world refused to recognise him, and it gets even worse. He came to that which was his own, to Israel, to the Jews, his chosen people, but even his own did not receive him yet. 
to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, who surrendered to him, who said, I'll live for you. He gave them the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. I read this great story this week from the Sydney fires of of more than 15 years ago. I remember them. Not many of you, I suspect, will. Um, It's a story of a small boy after the fires who was walking through the charred remains of the family house with his his parents alongside him and a reporter comes up and uh, has a question for the boy, just the camera in the boy's face and I assume trying to engender the tears that make such great television viewing, ask the boy this question. What will you do now, little boy, now that you don't have a home? And the boy looked up at the reporter and he slipped his hand inside his father's and he said, no, no, Mr, Mr, you've got it all wrong. I may not have a house, but I'll always have a home. And do you see, that's what Jesus has come to give us to return our hand into the Father's, to give us us new birth into his family. See, far from irrelevant or ineffective, Jesus has come to change everything and everyone. Jesus has come to do what no one else could do, not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Krishna, not even ourselves. Jesus has come to take us home to the Father, to take us back to where life was meant to be lived. And Jesus has come to make God known. Do you see it there, chapter 1, verse 18? No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. See, it's why he's called the Word back in verse 1. Did you see it? It's because by him, God has spoken to us. By him, God has made himself known as sharply, as clearly and as loudly as he could. It's just like the old hymn sings. God has spoken by Christ Jesus, Christ the everlasting Son, brightness of the Father's glory with the Father ever one. Spoken by the Word incarnate, God of God before time began, light of light to earth descending, man revealing God to man. Extra points if you really wanted to hum that but you didn't. Friends, if you want to know God better, deeper, more, if you want our friends to know God for his sake, for their sake, there is, of course, only, literally only, one place to go and that's to Jesus. And not to to Jesus as we would like him to be and not to Jesus even as we imagine him to be, When I like to think of God, I like to think. When I like to think of Jesus, I like to think of. Tells us nothing except what you like to think of. No, it's to this Jesus, the the Jesus of the Word, the the Jesus of John one. Jesus is God Himself, come to earth as one of us, 
to take us home and to make God known. You see, therefore, Jesus actually is the kingdom of God. Since the beginning of this series, we've been tracing the kingdom of God throughout the Bible. For each era of Bible history, we've been asking, who is God's people? Where is God's place? How does God rule? From that pattern of creation to where it all kind of perished at the fall, to the promises made to Abraham and the partial fulfilment through Israel's history, to what Owen showed us last week and the disaster of the exile and the hope of the promise. Who is God's people? Where is God's place? How does God rule? See, again this week we ask the question and this week we see that really incredibly, absolutely amazingly, the answer is just Jesus. At least at this point in the Bible timeline, Jesus is God's people. Jesus is God's place. Jesus is God's rule. After all, consider God's people. When Jesus came as a man, what did he do? Well, he did in his place what Adam should have done, didn't he? And he did in their place what Israel should have done, didn't he? As New Testament writer after writer tells us again and again, he is the new Adam, what Adam should have been. He is the new Israel, what Israel should have been. He he succeeds where they failed and thank God, he succeeds where we failed. Jesus is in himself God's people, God's perfect people. And so too with God's place. Question for you. What was it that stood right at the centre of God's place? What was it that made God's place God's place? That marked it particularly out as separate and special and sacred? It was God, wasn't it? It was God's presence with his people first there in the garden and then in the tabernacle, the tent, the kind of portable temple and then in the temple itself and then in the promise of the prophets for a new temple, God dwelling with his people. That's what makes God's place God's place. And what do we find in Jesus? In Jesus, in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Well, more literally, I don't know if the footnote, if you have a footnote or not, that says it. The Word became flesh and, and tabernacled among us. See, Jesus Himself is where God dwells with His people. Jesus is where we can enter into God's presence. We'll see some more about that in the next couple of weeks. And, and again, the same with God's rule. See, as you trace along that table, can you see it? Is it printed hardly enough? Anyway, just pretend you can if you can't. As you trace along the table, what do you see? First, God rules by his word. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the word. God rules by his king. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the king. God promises to bless all nations. What does Jesus do? He brings God's blessings to the earth. It is by the Lord Jesus that God rules. People, place, rule. Now, all this will need to be filled out in the next couple of weeks. There is yet more of the story to tell. But for now, can you see? All of God's promises, absolutely all of God's promises are fulfilled in Jesus. 
All of Israel's history was heading relentlessly toward Jesus. If you like, like, like some great hourglass that focuses and focuses and focuses on Jesus. And so all we've had this point is kind of shapes mapped out and then Jesus fills them. A sketch outline. Jesus fills it. All of Israel's history. Indeed, all of human history focuses and focuses and focuses on this man. See, it's just as John promised in that very first week, you remember? When how do you describe the Bible? So you break John's heart or make John's heart as one book with one story. I'm going to look at my notes because I get around for the front. With one ultimate author and one ultimate subject. Jesus is the subject, the subject of the Bible and he's supposed to be the subject of our lives. And the wonderful thing is, of course, that that will always remain true. Whether it's just us and him or when there's other company involved. When there's just us in here or tomorrow morning, when we go back out there. See, despite how small our world would make Jesus seem, despite how weak our world will make Jesus seem, despite how, how lifeless and distant our world will make Jesus seem, the Jesus of reality is no stuffed toy tiger lying limp in the corner We don't need to be embarrassed of Jesus like he's some imaginary friend that only comes alive when it's just us and him. He really, really is God himself come to earth as one of us to take us home and to make God known. Jesus is in himself the kingdom of God. The next couple of weeks we're going to keep hearing about how he draws us into himself in his kingdom. For now, let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the wonderful Lord Jesus and we confess we are not thankful enough. And Father, we thank you that there is no good reason to lose confidence in the Lord Jesus. There is no good reason to think differently of him when we are in here and we are out there when we are alone with our Bibles or we're in the normal part of our day at school, at work, at uni, with the others in our community. We pray, Lord Jesus, would you keep opening our eyes by your Spirit through your Word to see Jesus as he really is. The enormous, life-giving, eternal Jesus. Please, Father, would you make this the Jesus that we know? Would you make this the Jesus we love? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.